Hi, and welcome to the first episode of this new series of Get Ready, The Cost of Doing Business, hosted by me, Libby Posser. This mini-series for London Business Hub will uncover how businesses can navigate the challenges brought on by the cost of living crisis. In each of the episodes in this series, we'll feature SME business owners and experts to talk about topics really relevant in the micro, small, and medium-sized business space right now. And today we're talking about the cost of living crisis. We'll outline what that phrase means and discuss the other language that's being widely used at the moment. We'll talk about how to keep running a successful business during difficult times. And we'll talk about how to adapt and take on the challenges ahead. So what challenges are businesses facing during this time and what are the opportunities ahead? To discuss these questions and more, I'm joined by Sarah King from the Federation of Small Businesses, Oliver Bruce, CEO of Pinpoint Media and Entrepreneur, and Anna Savory, who runs the Get Ready for Business Growth at the British Library. Hi, everyone. Hi, Libby. Hi, Libby. First, can can I get a bit of background as to your relevance to this discussion? Sarah, can you tell me what you do and, and, and how you sort of brought yourself here? Yes, of course. Um, my name's Sarah King and I work as the development manager for FSB London and we're part of a larger network of development managers across the country. So my role is to support our London members and our non-members. So really we do offer something to everybody. We also have an incredible team of FSB members who are volunteers and without that volunteer team we couldn't do what we do across the London region which is to provide fantastic business support and be very connected with our local areas across the whole of the London region. Oliver. Hello. I'm uh, so yeah I'm, I'm, I suppose I bring multiple different angles to this. I invest in startup businesses. I've got a, an SME myself with 35 staff, both in London and the Southwest. Um, and I'm also a podcaster, so I speak to multiple different businesses that are large enterprises as well as SMEs. So I get a pretty good cross-section in terms of what's going on, and I like to think a bit of a helicopter view. Excellent. That's what we need. And Anna, can you tell me a bit, a bit about yourself? So hi, I'm Anna Savory. I work at the Business and Intellectual Property Centre at the British Library. Um, so for those of you that don't know the IPC, sort of the best kept secret in terms of business support. Um, At the heart of the service is up to the minute market intelligence and IP advice, huge selection of databases and resources that are free to anyone with a a reader's pass to the British Library and just come in off the street and access a huge wealth of information. And we have some specific programmes and workshops and courses. So the one I head up at the moment is the Get Ready for Business Growth Programme, which is three months of intensive support, uh, tailored business consultancy, essentially, um, for businesses, SMEs in the arts and culture sector. Wow, who knew that the British Library contained things like that? That's amazing. Um, can we talk firstly about these challenges? And they are multiple, as we all know. Sarah, could you tell us a bit more about what we actually mean when we talk about the cost of living crisis? It's being banded around so much, but what is it and how is it affecting businesses? I think, obviously, from the FSB's viewpoint and from small business owners, we talk about the cost of living crisis, but we also talk about the cost of doing business crisis, which is obviously much more focused and central to sort of what small business concerns are. The cost of doing business crisis is really about where, you know, the input prices that small firms pay have uh, sort of risen really dramatically at sort of record rate running ahead of like the consumer prices 
And so for small business owners who are trying to absorb, they do try and absorb the difference, you know, the cost and the increases that they're having to endure and not have to pass it on to their customers. But, you know, nine times out of 10, you'll find that small business owners do have to pass it on to their customers. It's, a, it's just a very difficult situation for small businesses to manage. Um, and particularly, it's it's all of the overheads, it's all of the outgoings, it's um, the energy costs, the increase in energy rates has really impacted small business owners. They're having to sort of make some very difficult decisions, but really the cost of living crisis is a cost of doing business crisis. And it's it's causing a huge amount of concern, a huge amount of worry for small business owners. Many of them just struggling to survive. They want to thrive, but it's a very difficult situation. And it's really about how do we improve and support small business owners going forward. Oliver, you're actually running a, a business, a successful business at this time. Um, how are you doing that for, for a kickoff? Um, but how is it? How's the cost of living or the cost of doing business crisis affecting small to medium enterprises like yours? Yeah, I think it's multifold, really, because and we we built our business organically anyway. So we've never had seed investment. We've never had anything that's been injected in short of furlough during the pandemic. But in in terms of how it's sort of affected us, is we've had to look at how we can manage cost and pass it on when we need to to our clients. Or benchmark ourselves from an industry point of view. So, if we look at what salaries. What do you mean by benchmark? Our, Can you explain that? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so our our salaries are the same in the southwest as they are up north as they are in London. So, we're able to attract the right talent, the correct talent for the industry. And this is something we did a long time ago, not specifically for the cost of living crisis that we're currently in. But what that means is that we we do have measures to to help our team as and when they need it, if they need it. But if someone were to come to us and say, look, I need more money because I'm being underpaid, we know that we have benchmarked ourselves on, on what the industry standard is. So we know that it is a fair living wage. Um, similarly, you know, you can live on it in the Southwest and in London. There is no discrepancy between the two, right? So for us, things have got more expensive in terms of suppliers or office rent, for instance, specifically. Um, but actually, in terms of salary and wage bill, We've always kind of kept up with that. So it's not been something that has that has taken us by surprise, I think is the way to summarize that. It sounds very much, Anna, that the the way in which businesses are weathering this situation depends on their unique structure, on their unique um, makeup. And and actually your type of business that you're dealing with at the British Library are arts and culture enterprises. So how are you seeing the cost of living crisis affect them? Yeah, so the Get Ready for Business Growth Programme is specific to the arts and cultural sector. And yeah, we're seeing, as you might expect, we really are seeing a real knock-on effect in, in arts and culture. I think it's one of the first things from people's personal budgets that are just being crossed out. So that that consumer, that customer behaviour is changing and they're feeling the pinch fairly severely. But I would also say that the previous programme before this current iteration was sector agnostic. So I also sit at the centre of a business community, lots of SMEs across London in different sectors, and they're all feeling it. We've, we've got sort of 600 strong community. We sent out a bit of a call, a bit of a survey to see how people were getting on. We wanted to be quite reactive in our business advice. And of those 600, two businesses sort of said, oh, we haven't felt it yet. And they were selling very high ticket items to affluent clients. And even they issued the caveat that they were like, well, we haven't felt it yet. But we know it's it's going to come down the road 
it's it's ubiquitous. It really is affecting everyone. But specifically, I think for arts and culture, these demands. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's bad for everyone, and it is particularly bad in, in arts and culture. Yes, Sarah, we we're hearing the same phrases come up time and time again, and not wanting to teach our grandmaster suck eggs. It might be worth reminding ourselves what we mean by some of these phrases when we when we talk about them. Um, how how do interest rates specifically affect SMEs? And obviously in terms of the interest rates going up, it means that they've got they've got to find more money to afford um, say cost of commercial premises if they've got sort of mortgages and, and also loans um, that they may have against their business. So if the interest rates are going up, the loans become more expensive to afford. Um, you know, we're even seeing, just for example, the cost of broadband and mobile tele- telephony in terms of the midterm contracts are all being um, increased by the inflation rates, some going up by 14.5%. These percentage increases do impact on you know the monthly outgoings of any business, the weekly outgoings of any business. So the interest rates is is a very difficult situation for many small business owners. And have you had feedback from business owners that actually this that the, the interest rate craziness that we're seeing is a source of anxiety for them? Yes, it is of course a huge anxiety for small businesses. I mean, it, nobody wants interest rates to go up. Um, if you're trying if you're trying to manage a whole host of different uh, overheads when you're running a small business, it's just another anxiety which you know, we're trying. We don't want to keep seeing an interest rate rise. If you're a business that's managed to do very well um, and does, does have sort of company savings, then obviously interest rate rises do support those types of businesses. But for many, you know, we're living sort of day to day, week to week, month to month, and interest rate rises is, is seriously affecting small business owners. Um, Oliver, can you talk to me about cash flow and how important that is and about personal guarantees, if possible? Thank you. Oh, PGs are. <laughs> um, t- yeah, just to go to go back to Sarah's point about interest rate, I was looking at a Seabills loan the other week for a business that I'm involved in, and there's sort of two hundred forty thousand pounds left to repay on that Seabills loan, and the interest last year was you know roughly five hundred quid, give or take. It's over twelve hundred quid now in terms of just interest on that, and you know that kind of paints a picture as to how how bad it is because if you haven't got the savings, it's very hard to service those. But in in terms of PGs and such, like I think. It depends on which way you look at it, Libby, because from an entrepreneur point of view, it's always a, a measured risk when taking a loan, I suppose. And putting a personal guarantee against something is something I've always tried to avoid um, when, when, when getting involved in businesses because, you know. Can, can you just back, backtrack slightly and, tell, and explain to us what a personal guarantee is? What does it entail and why would you do it? Of course. So it's a way of uh, essentially leveraging and protecting uh, the, the bank against if you default on on a loan, let's say. So you might put your, if you're lucky enough to own a flat or a, or a house, you might put that down as, as a personal guarantee or a PG against a loan so that if you default, they can essentially take your house. Now, I've always looked at it and gone, as a last resort, I may always go down that PG route if I needed to, to, to raise capital by leveraging an asset, so to speak. I have been fortunate enough to not have to do that. And the reason for that is because if, if it was to go Pete Tong, I would always want to have that, 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 that asset that I could either remortgage to pull the cash out to protect myself against a downturn, for instance, if I was lucky enough to have the equity in it, or if I needed to, to sell it, because then I could go and rent and I'd have a burn rate of whatever it might be, 6, 12, 18 months, depending on, on what it's sold for. So personal guarantees are very useful, but they're also very dangerous. And I think you need to be educated on how one uses them, because there is a purpose and a place for them. But actually, it's something I've always tried to 
to avoid. And, and similarly, from a cash flow point of view, I think that the, the, the term cash is king has never been more apparent. And actually, you know, 16 months ago, 18 months ago, when one was investing in businesses, there were angels and VCs that were really pumping cash in and just growing at all costs. It was, you know, they didn't want to make the margin. They didn't necessarily care about making profit. It was about gaining market share. And we've seen a massive change, both from an angel and a VC point of view, when when investing in startups and scale-ups, whereby actually now it's very much about, okay, how can we see a profit from this? Is it going to be six months until we see a profit rather than 24 months or 36 months? Um, And it's no longer growth at all costs. So there is an element of, of people becoming quite apprehensive as to where they put their money and how they use their money. There is still money out there. It's just maybe not as abundant as it as it once was. So Anna, what's happening with the idea of future-proofing your business? Is that just a luxury that most small to medium enterprises can't afford? I mean, if there's so much anxiety and caution in, in markets at the moment, like how do you even think about the future? Yeah, I think it can be one of those really difficult things just psychologically as a business owner to reconcile because you, you feel that you're in crisis, you want to be dealing with the business of surviving. You almost don't want to be looking to the future. It's very difficult to look to the future if you're just trying to get through the, the month or the week or what have you. But I think it is, it's hugely important. You need to look at the basics of how you run a business. You need to look at your strategy. You need to look to your cash flow. Um, if there can be anything positive to come out of this, it should force a reckoning on the basics of your model and your plan. In a way, I think what it's doing, at least from where I'm sitting, is it's just kind of turning the game up to Harvard. So these principles of how to run a business are still there. And although it may feel counterintuitive and like it's a luxury, it really is a necessity to look and try to anticipate and just shore up your systems for the future. Whether you do that with consultants or you do it with your peers, I think it's really useful to set aside some time and then just as much as you can anticipating problems and your strategy and and, and where you might go there. Sarah, are you are you in agreement with that? I mean, are you finding that um, small business owners are reluctant to even consider investing for future growth? I mean, it's clearly the key to get out of this is to invest to grow. But when you've got overheads, you've got energy prices, you've got staff costs, are, are business owners even thinking about it at the moment? Well, in terms of um, that point, uh, we. The FSB regularly does a a small business index survey of our membership. And the last quarter did significantly show that, you know, businesses are are very sort of risk averse to making decisions to expand their business. If anything, they're sort of scaling down plans for investment and expanding their business. And one of the reasons being um, they're concerned about if it's to do with property, they're concerned about the burden of the business rates. And uh, some businesses who may have thought about expanding their businesses' premises are actually deciding, no, we're not going to take that step yet. And I think the other thing in terms of their sort of decisions to grow their business is, is, is in London particularly, there seems to be an issue with finding appropriately skilled staff, and that is actually affecting growth. So it's that is one where it's the businesses who do want to grow their business and can afford to are finding the skills, the lack of skills, a barrier. Um, but in the main, I think things like the business rates is causing businesses to think again about making any sort of decisions about expanding their say, business premises. And in terms of cash flow, we talked about cash flow as well. Um, I think the other thing that you know, we're always sort of asking for and calling for is that in the supply chains where small businesses are very much a part of, that late payments are avoided to those businesses to ensure they do 
have the cash flow and the cash flow is remedied as quickly as possible and not to not to allow late payments, which then can seriously impact on small business owners. In terms of premises and expansion, there's some really good models in London. And I know this because we're, we're looking at, we're going through the same, the, same, the same issue, I suppose, and as much as we have a co-working space with spaces. Um, so we work out of Victoria. And we're getting to a point where we need to have some real estate, some sort of you know four-walled building, essentially. and needs to be a room. But, um, you know, what we're looking at doing is not taking on a premises full-time, but looking at sharing it. So this platform called Hubble exists where you can essentially use a room or a building or a part of a building for two days a week, let's say, that you have agreed contractually to use for two days a week for the next six or 12 months. So from a startup or an SME or a scale-up or whatever point of view, you can go, great, I've got an office which has got four walls, it's not a co-working space, which I can use on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And that is the agreement. And then around that, you've got other people that are that are using it, for instance, right? Which actually is that kind of hybrid co-working environment and works really, really well. So you can really manage and cut your costs there because you know office overheads are one thing that really does start to sting as you grow, not least with business rates. But again, it does go back to where you are as a business. And if you can actually work remotely or from a hybrid point of view, then one can save costs because we, you know, we we now are a flexible company. We we maybe weren't when we first started. We did have four-day working weeks way before it was cool. Um, but now we are a flexible, a flexible business. And it means that you can lower your overheads because you don't have to have a 5,000 square foot office in central London with business rates. You can have a flexible co-working environment if, if indeed you need to. We've talked about the problems. Let's talk some more about solutions. Oliver's mentioned flexibility in co-working spaces or at least in, in sharing working spaces. And Sarah, how are you seeing other ways that small businesses have found or that you can suggest small businesses could find to adapt this crisis? I think in terms of a lot of the work that FSB's done has been actually really quite related to um, the energy costs. And we did a report called Out of the Cold, um, a quite recent report, where um, I think it's about 45% of small firms sort of had to raise their prices to mitigate the impact of rising energy costs for their business. So that's been one solution that businesses have, have, has had, have had to use that approach to remedy that particular cost. Um, 40% have said that they've reduced their energy consumption. Um, so that may have impacted on sort of having to close a shop for several days a week or actually in terms of a restaurant, maybe reduce the number of hours they're open to serve customers to reduce their energy costs. That does then impact on a wider uh, sort of community in terms of, say, High Street, where maybe that High Street had all of those shops previously open. Those restaurants that are deciding to close at different times because they want to save their energy then does have an effect on footfall in the High Street as one example. And we talked about, you know, some businesses have taking steps in terms of finding solutions for themselves is by cancelling or scaling down sort of their plans to invest or to expand. I think that's, yeah, and actually, and very sadly, some businesses are actually having to take that very hard decision to close their business as a solution to sort of coping with the cost of doing business crisis. Anna, it's clearly a, a, a picture that's extremely sort of wide, wide reaching, far reaching. But for the businesses that you've spoken to and that you help, you know, you've got to actually narrow it down to extremely specific advice to make any sense. I mean, we can't control these huge external forces, but what are the key things 
that you are suggesting that businesses should think about in terms of adapting to this? It's so different. You're quite right. There's no magic bullet. We can't say here's an answer. But there are always fundamental things you can think about. And I think while we're talking about solutions, a lot of our graduates have, as Sarah was saying, they've they've made adaptations, but these things, they're adjustments, but they're not really solutions. And I think I'd, I'd like to stress there's just so much support. There's such a landscape of free advice, I think, that people don't always realize is there. But yeah, just to to circle back to what I was saying earlier, there will always be a few essential streams and essential principles. Your market research, the knowledge that you're armed with, that that doesn't change. That that should be a constant. And if you want to address these sort of atmospheric uncertainties, this, this kind of fear with which people are operating now, if you as a business have a really clear idea of, of your information and your facts, your intellectual property, your market research, it's more important than it has been because it will start to take away in your investors, in your clients a little bit of that caution. I think if I can sort of name check a few of our databases that I think would speak to this kind of thing. So um, Oliver, you were talking about locations and bricks and mortar. We have local data online. It's a big database, of it's national, um, but you can drill down into London data and you can just see what type of business, where, on what high street, vacancy rate information, for example. So, you know, if you can't afford to be in your borough, but you need to look at bricks and mortar location in a cheaper borough, that resource is available for free. Come into the BIPC, we have it uh, in the reader's room for free. Um, so you just need a reader's pass. You can come in and join into that. There will be people at the desk. Go up and say hello. And, and they will help you and guide you. And you, yeah, you can you can access it in the building. Mintel reports, the gold standard, Statistica, um, which is sort of, I think it's about 80,000 topics across 170 different industries. This information will always be important and it will help you to make strategic decisions. As I say, it can be difficult to think in terms of strategy when you're putting out fires, but counterintuitively, it's, it's more important than ever during this. As well, just cold, hard cash. I think Oliver was saying that the funders are still there. It's just it's just a little bit harder. Um, but again, there are free resources here. The, the BL has Grant Finder. If you want to get, again, another database, you want to come in and see grants available to you. And you can look at things that might be available. There's a website called Swoop which is a free, a free portal, plug in your business details. It will match you. It'll do a bit of matchmaking and it will find things that, that will be suitable for you. I think as well in terms of, oh, actually, I should mention there, there's um, a, a woman who consults on our programme, Susie uh, from the Friendly CFO, Susie Campbell. Um, do look at her website. A lot of free resources there. You can download a free cash flow template, sign up for her newsletter, lots of hints and tips. She hasn't paid me to say this, but she really is. She's tremendously accessible. I think a lot of our businesses, they're entrepreneurs with great passion. They're not necessarily, they've had to learn to be. But finance is still scary. And I think that's the other thing that, that we're kind of circling around is there's, there is always a sort of squeamishness to talk about these things culturally. I can guarantee any business listening, everyone's in the same boat. Tap into your peer-to-peer network, talk to your community. You're going to find people in really similar situations. And they're going to be able to give you hints and steers or at the very least a sympathetic ear. And I I think in terms of that that point, in terms of tapping into the network, you're absolutely right. And I think through having called up banks and spoken to the friendly high street banks that I won't name, if you don't ask, you don't get. Now, you can extend your B-bills loans. You can extend your B-bills loans. I think it's three times from interest only repayments through to capital repayments through to 
just pausing it, I believe, you can extend it, it, it threefold. Now, C-bills, and I didn't know this, but when, when calling up and asking about extending the C-bills, they will say no. They will say, you can't do that. And you go, but I am in financial turmoil. I need to extend my C-bills. And they'll go, okay, we'll put you through to somebody who can, who can help you with that. So the, the answer from the banks will often be no. But if you don't pressure them hard enough, then you'll never get the actual answer because they want the easy route, right? They want the, uh, the route with the least resistance. So you can extend your seagulls. You just have to argue it and you have to show that you fundamentally can't repay it if your business goes bust. So they're not going to get the cash. So it's in their interest for you to extend it. Similarly with HMRC, if you can't repay your tax bill, be it corp tax, VAT, whatever it might be, you can put a payment plan in place because they'd rather have the money over 24, 36 months than they would have it this quarter for instance, because they'll at least get it eventually. So there are ways of, of actually uh, doing things completely legally just by asking questions um, and extending that burn rate, which is critical when you're going through a recession or, or a cost of living crisis. Similarly, going through Innovate UK and having a look at, at grants or funds through through that website is really good, because if you are a startup and you might not be able to get the angel investment you want on a VC capital, go to Innovate UK and have a look, because they do have some really good grants on there. Anything from, you know, 50 grand, 10 grand, all the way up to millions of pounds if you want uh, and need that, I suppose. You have to put a lot of work into, into proving it. But it is a way to get money if you do indeed need it. Yeah. And just to add another point, I mean, in terms of like you mentioned, Anna, and uh, the free advice and also all of about if you don't ask, you know, you, you're not going to even know if you can get. And I think one thing that, you know, we've really found across um, working with local authorities across the country but also across the London region working with closely with the local councils the London boroughs um, and across the country with districts and counties and other borough local authorities but one thing that's really been um, evident is the local authorities do have on their websites the cost of living hubs and support pages that are there for their local communities and it's really really worth every small business owner signing up to a local authority business e-newsletter, which means that those small businesses do not miss out on any opportunity that comes um, towards that local area. Um, we found in the in the a pandemic and with the, lock, the various lockdowns and different grants are available, sadly, there were some businesses who missed out on support because they didn't know what was being offered by the local authority. So we encourage every small business to be connected with their local authority. Um, and also, we would also urge, again, as Anna was highlighting, there is so much free support out there. And it's about just spending that bit of time looking at various websites. I mean, the British Library is a fantastic resource. Also, the FSB website is a goldmine of information for small businesses from sort of zero to 249 employees. And there are, there are other business support organisations too. And obviously, the London Business Hub is one that we always are regularly promoting to London business owners because it's a great sort of central portal. And it's something that we can all as other business support organisations um, put information on to ensure that some business owners get a real sort of varied um, amount of information and support accessible to them. Anna, can I talk to you about morale amongst businesses? Because I mean, you, you're you're one of the the only ones of the three that's actually specifically raised the idea that that uh, customer activity, customer behaviour has changed, and you're beginning to see that. I think in London, it's sometimes quite deceptive. People are still going out, still 
packing out the restaurants. You, you, can, you can't really see the cost of living crisis in central London yet. So what's morale like amongst your sort of small arts and, and culture-based businesses? And, and, and what are their fears and hopes for the future? And what, what, how, what would you say that you feel the future is for them? It's difficult. I think you're quite right. You can't see it. London is deceptive. Um, but people are seeing it. You know, we, we can't see it from the outside. But when you run a business, you see it very much. Um, it's varied. I'm not going to paint. I, I would like to not be a Cassandra nor a Pollyanna. So I think depending on where you are and who you are, it's varied. Some people are having a tremendously hard time. And others are hopeful, are seeing even now after, that's a good point, we haven't really defined the the length of this thing, but I would say after a year, a little more, they're starting to see little bits of, of hope and recovery. It depends on who you are. Speaking strictly for me, I'm I'm hopeful. I think if there is one thing that working closely with arts and cultural businesses and all businesses actually over the past four years has taught me, tremendously resilient even if you as a business owner you listener don't feel resilient at the moment you are I mean you survived COVID and you're surviving the ripples of COVID now and it will end I'm no economist but it will come to an end Um, and it is just a matter of I think battening down and and future proofing quote unquote but looking at these principles and just hanging in there because it, it, it will stop and things will start to improve it's just finding your workaround, your workarounds and your ways to endure. Finding your ways, perhaps you don't grow, but you hold steady. Or perhaps you creatively start to think, since that's your creative business, that's what you're so good at, you start to think of other ways around, of other opportunities, other things, ways to work that you could do. You've inspired me. You've done brilliantly. Uh, just, <laughs> just to that point, Anna, because you are absolutely bang on. And I think I think so many people get carried away with, with you know, and, we, and we've done it, we've done it ourselves where you need to hire lots of people and you go, look at me, I've got a thousand staff and I'm doing really well. Then you kind of go, we're making a hundred million revenue or whatever it might be, but actually you're not profitable. And then you've got to make a load of redundancies like Microsoft or like Google have done or Twitter, for instance, you know, whereas actually compounding, like you you, you just said, and, and what we're now doing is not hiring ahead of the curve. We're hiring at the point that we either hit the curve or we've surpassed the curve, if that makes sense. And, and the work is there because you know, we, for the last 12 months or so, hired a lot of people that we were forecasting the work would be there for. And because we're not a massive agency in terms of having 100 plus staff, you know, we're okay, that's fine. We haven't made any redundancies. But if you look at Microsoft and you look at Google, they may have been hedging, they may have been predicting on an upside that maybe wasn't there, hence the redundancies. And I think just making sure that actually your turnover is stable, your profit's there, whether that's 5, 10, 15, 20%, it doesn't matter, make sure you're profitable. That is that is the success, really. You don't have to make millions of pounds. You don't have to have hundreds and thousands of staff. You just fundamentally need to be able to pay your bills and have a bit of net profit at the end of the year. And if that means compounding for the next 12 or 18 months, then so be it, because it's better than going under. But I think future-proofing is key, obviously. I mean, um, to, to ensure that businesses do learn and know how to adapt, say optimise, plan ahead. I think essentially stay connected with other small businesses, understand where opportunities exist for your business to continue in business, to grow, um, stay aware of the economic situation, yeah, just stay keep informed how maybe other businesses are looking at finding solutions. It's always good to sort of see how maybe your competitor type businesses are surviving and thriving 
And I think that's always a good thing. We can always look to others to learn and share sort of and understand best practice in finding a good way and positive way forward. And, you know, we always see lots of businesses starting up too. So that's another good thing in terms in situations like this. We see a lot of businesses starting up and it's making sure that those businesses that are starting up find the right support, the free support, wealth of support that's out there to help them. And then we can see sort of those new buds grow as well. So I think we need to stay positive. Anna, it's a, it's a seductive image, isn't it? That, that essentially when you have a sort of bushfire, that it does clear the dead wood and allow these shoots. But it's quite hard if you are the dead wood. I, I think it's one of, those, one of those things that you have to take a slightly longer view to imagine that this is going to be an opportunity. But what's your final word for the future beyond this? I mean, it, hopefully it's really soon, that future. My final word would be you can access support and a lot of it is free or a lot of it is low cost. It is just a matter of finding it. And as we've said, plug into everything. Come to the British Library. Don't come at the expense of going to other places as well. Federation of Small Businesses, Innovate UK. There's so much. Your local lev, your local growth hub. But, you know, really scattergun. Just plug into as much as you can. Shore up your financial systems. Shore up your cash flow. Go back to your basics of your structure and your model. These things are absolutes. They will always be useful. I think as well, I touched on this and Sarah touched on it. You're an individual, you're an entrepreneur running a small business. Don't forget that you're a person. Tap into other people, talk to other people and find, even if you're not finding strategic support, find support, find emotional support. And that will help you get to the end and get to the light at the end of the tunnel as well, as much as anything else, as much as all of the business support we can give. And yeah, I would say you're resilient and the support is there to help you be resilient. So you may certainly use it. Oliver, what would you say as your sort of final thought on this? Be inquisitive. Ask questions for sure. And if I may be so bold, don't take no as, as the answer. People will always say no to you. Banks will say no to you. Investors will say no to you. But there is always a way. And if you're able to look around that and find an alternative approach in exactly the way that Anna and, and again Sarah have said – then you'll be okay. And it might just be that you need to batten the hatches, stop the spend, stop going out and, you know, taking clients to expensive lunches and do everything over Zoom. And that is fine. Just survive it. Don't take no as the final answer. And make sure that you do surround yourself, as you rightly say, by really interesting and inquisitive people. Because as they say, those that you surround yourself with, those that you actually find the, 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 the intellect from, if that makes sense, and, and having a board of NEDs or just having a really good way of talking to people sometimes is absolutely fine. And Sarah, final, final, final word to you. I think it's really important for all small business owners to ensure self-care and well-being, not just for themselves, but for their teams. I think that will help small business owners to look after their business their business future and I think yeah it's stay connected my thanks to all of our guests Sarah King from the Federation of Small Businesses Oliver Bruce CEO of Point Media and Entrepreneur and Anna Savory who runs the Get Ready for Business Growth program at the British Library don't forget to subscribe to the Get Ready, The Cost of Doing Business podcast for the London Business Hub on your usual podcast provider so you don't miss an episode. And we'd love it if you could leave a review because it makes the podcast so much easier for others to find. And remember to visit businesshub.london to access a variety of free support programs, advice and resources relevant for SMEs. 
We'll be back next time with an episode about energy efficiency and how it can help businesses during the cost of living crisis. With more SME owners and experts, Anna Turns, Mike Russell, and Maria Spiru. Business Ready is a Fresh Air production. I'm Libby Potter. Thanks for listening.